Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Mark 4, beginning to read at verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up, and as waves broke over the boat, so that they nearly, it was nearly swamped, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. One of the questions that students often ask me is this question. They say, with all the suffering in the world, why does God do nothing? It's a powerful question, really, isn't it? Why is God silent? Why does he do nothing? I find it interesting that the same thought is in the Bible. When the, the people of God are afraid because they're persecuted and oppressed, Uh, The psalmist cries out. This is what he says. He says, Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourselves. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? Stark words. But I wonder whether you can uh, relate to them. You can maybe uh, relate to them when you look back at what's happened over the last few months. Uh, People killed in the streets of European cities. People killed in Pakistani churches. People killed in a Tunis museum. And in the midst of it all, God doesn't seem to do anything. One commentator I heard talking about it says it makes our streets feel unsafe. Well, you might not feel that too strongly here in Sheffield. Yet we can wonder at God, can't we? Now, I was speaking to a student the other day, and he's really struggling with his own thoughts and his own desires. He really wants to follow God. He wants to take God at his word and to follow him and to obey him in everything he does. And as we were talking about that, he said to me, it'd be so much easier if it didn't seem like God was absent. It's fairly common, I think, for us to feel that. You know, we've been reading from the beginning of Mark's gospel and we've heard Jesus preaching about his kingdom. He's demonstrated that he is the king of his kingdom. And as the king, he shows the world which he brings, a world which is free from sickness and where he confronts evil and he does away with them both, where he forgives sin and brings life. And when we think of all that we've seen, we might wonder, why does God do nothing? It seems as if he's now asleep. And you know, that's precisely the situation that the disciples were in. Did you see that in verse 38? They are facing this desperate situation where the boat's about to be swamped. In verse 38, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. You see, the disciples have seen Jesus do amazing things, but now they are afraid for their lives. And in their fear, Jesus is asleep in the stern. Now, their fear takes a particular form. Did you hear uh, their question that they asked Jesus in verse 38? Uh, They say to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? 
Literally, they're asking at that point, Jesus, don't you care if we perish? Don't you care if we die? It's a desperate question. They've seen Jesus do these amazing things, but now they're facing death. They worry that Jesus doesn't actually care about their death. And so they ask in desperate fear of their lives, Jesus, don't you care if we die? And you know, the Bible is very clear that the fear of death is one of the most basic fears for all mankind. The writer to the Hebrews will say that we are all held in slavery by our fear of death. And those disciples in that boat were facing up to that fear of death that is common to all mankind. So we might try with others to distract ourselves from the fear of death or we might strive to find security in other things. So we find security in the face of death from status or importance or possessions or friendship or pleasures, all quests for security in the face of fear, this fear of death. Or they may just be merely distractions away from the fear of death. And yet so often fear pops up and we are confronted with death again. Now, I was speaking to my hairdresser a couple of weeks ago. It was a short conversation. It doesn't take very long to cut my hair now. Um, but she was saying her daughter was coming home from Mother's Day. And she was really looking forward to uh, seeing her daughter on Mother's Day. It was a really nice thing for her to do. And yet, as we continued to talk, she said she was really, the daughter was coming home because one of her course mates had died that week, just suddenly dropped down dead. And her daughter was upset about it. One of, our flat, one of our students here has a flatmate and her flatmate's dad died very suddenly. And that fear of death just comes back to the surface. It bubbles through when we comes face to face. We've seen it this week in the terrible German Wings plane crash. Someone told me this week that they were erecting beds at the airport because people were afraid to fly. But the question is, does Jesus care about our death? The disciples asked, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And the disciples are asking this of Jesus, the one that they've followed, the one that they've seen do amazing things and heard say amazing things. They know Jesus has come to bring his kingdom. He's been preaching about that right from chapter one. We've seen and they've seen the kind of kingdom he brings the place where sickness is confronted and evil cured, where sinners are welcomed and forgiven. And in chapter 4, they've been encouraged to listen and respond by faith to Jesus, and now they fear that Jesus doesn't care about their death. And it would seem that fear is then compounded because Jesus is asleep. He's doing nothing. And as one of my lecturers used to say, when a question is asked, then that question becomes our question and the question won't let us go. You see, the question becomes our question and so we can ask, Jesus, do you care if we die? Jesus, don't you care about our death? Well, in response to this, Jesus it calms the sea, which is remarkable. And then he asks the really odd question. It's a surprising question because the answer would seem to be very obvious. Do you see the question Jesus asked in verse 40? He then said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
It's, it's a remarkable question, really, isn't it? The disciples it seem to have a legitimate fear of death. The boat's about to be swamped and they're about to die. And Jesus is asleep. We could say at that point, God was asleep in the boat with them. They're going to die. And Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Can you imagine saying those words to somebody as they were facing their final stages of life? Why are you so afraid? Or saying it to one of those students who's come face to face with death. Say, why are you so afraid? You see, Jesus seems to be at this point chastising the disciples for being afraid of death. And links that to their lack of faith. You see, the point seems to be that we should trust Jesus in our death. And to trust Jesus means that we will be unafraid as we come face to face with death. I wonder whether you can imagine doing that, of being unafraid in the face of death. You see, we fear our death. It's the basic fear of all mankind. But Jesus wants us to get to the point where we can be unafraid of death because of our faith in him. Do you imagine the, the situation tomorrow morning? The, the phone rings and I answer the phone and as I answer, uh, say hello, uh, the other end comes back. Peter, this is Dr. Glenfield. Now, you know when your GP rings you, it's never, it's never good news. Oh, morning, Roger. How are you doing, I say. I'm well, Peter. Uh, we've got the test results. Uh, can you come in and see me? Yeah, that'd be fine, Roger. I'll come in on Friday. How will that do? Uh, no, Peter, I think you should come in right now. Oh, is it serious then? We'll talk when you get here, Peter. And so I put the phone down, I find the car keys, I fumble with the front door, not able to quite get it locked. I'm shaking as I get in the car, and as I sit there shaking, I ask myself, Peter, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, the question is meant to be lived. And it's a question which will come to us in various ways and at different times. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, it might be our fear of death pops up when we hear of the persecution of Christians around the world and the way that they face their death. Or we hear of the German wings disaster and it makes us come back to those fears of our death. Or we hear of a friend's death and it, it, that fear of the death that we have pops back up again. Now just hear what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be upset about death or we shouldn't grieve death. That's not Jesus' point here. He's saying that we shouldn't fear our death. So how do we get to the position that we could be unafraid in the face of death. Well, to become unafraid in the face of death, we need to answer the disciples' next question. Did you see their next question? Verse 41. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this Jesus? You see, once we start to see who this Jesus is, then we will start to see how we can be unafraid in the face of death. And the first thing that we see quite obviously from this section is Jesus is enormously powerful. 
you know, the furious squall rises up and it threatens the boat. And Jesus is able to calm it with just two words. Did you see that in verse 39? Quiet, still. All it takes for him to calm this amazing squall that was threatening the boat. And as he does that, he doesn't just stop the wind, but he stops the waves as well. The, The sea becomes flat calm. Extraordinary power. Extraordinary control over nature. Jesus has enormous power. He exercises raw power at this moment. And as he exercises that raw power, we're reminded of God in the Old Testament because it's God in the Old Testament who exercises such power. Listen to these words about God from the Psalms. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God, our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who still the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves and the turmoil of nations. Or in Psalm 89, we read these words. You rule over the surging seas. When its waves mount up, you still them. Jesus says, quiet, still. And we are presented with a picture of Jesus as none other than God himself who came to his earth. And it's not a unique picture in the Gospels. We have seen Jesus doing amazing, remarkable things all the way through. He has healed the sick. He has rid people of evil. He has known what people are thinking. It's an uncomfortable thought. He has forgiven sins, which only God can do. And he will go on to feed the 5,000 and heal the blind. Jesus has enormous power. I wonder if you've ever really come to terms with Jesus, the one who has such power. The one who is enormously powerful. You see, Jesus is an awesome man. He was God himself. And he is someone that everyone needs to come to terms with. So how can we be unafraid in the face of our death? Well, we need to see that Jesus is enormously powerful. But you know, I don't think that's quite enough for us, is it? To become unafraid in the face of death. Do you know, the disciples have seen Jesus' enormous power in the boat with them. But did you see what happened in verse 41 when they saw his enormous power? They were terrified. You see, they saw this exercise of raw power and they are terrified in the face of it. Which you can understand really, can't you? Because we know enormously powerful people in our world and yet they use that enormous power for their own twisted evil ends. The dictator who uses his power to oppress people and squash them. And so is Jesus one like that? One who is enormously powerful in that way? Well, no, what we see throughout the Bible and in the Gospels is that Jesus is not only enormously powerful, but he is totally good. Does Jesus care about your death? Yes, he does, because he is totally good. We see his goodness in the way he calms the storm. He cares about the death of his disciples such that he saves them at that moment. And the theme of death and whether Jesus cares is in our minds as we read into the next chapter. In chapter 5, you just look across to the first five verses of chapter 5, we are introduced to another man. 
And listen to where this man is living. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. See what we're presented with in that picture there? Here is, if you like, the walking dead. Here is a man who could no longer live in society with people that he had to live in the graveyard. And what does Jesus do when he faces this walking dead man? He heals him and brings him back into his right mind. And at the end of the incident, Jesus tells him to go home. A lovely picture for a man who had to go and live in the graveyard. He could then go home. And the theme continues. Look across to verse 22. Here in this incident, a man called Jairus comes to Jesus. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. You see, here's a a dying girl. And as Jesus goes, he gets interrupted. And before he then gets to the girl, she dies. Uh, Jairus' servants come and say, don't bother the teacher anymore. She's already dead. You see, at that point, it seems that all hope is lost. You see, Jesus might have saved the disciples. He might have healed people. He might have helped this walking dead man. But here is someone who is actually dead. And in response to the news, Jesus says to Jairus in verse 39, if you want to flip over, it's over the page. Verse 39, Jesus says, or verse 36, sorry, Jesus says this. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He could have said, don't be afraid, just have faith. You see, here is a man who is facing the death of his daughter, and Jesus says, don't be afraid, have faith. And you know how the story ends, verse 41. Jesus took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. You see, Jesus is totally good. He exercises his raw power for the benefit of mankind. He came from heaven and to earth so that he might bring his kingdom. His kingdom which is a kingdom without sickness and evil, without suffering and death. There is a a little hint, I think, even in the calming of the sea about Jesus' goodness and what he's come to do. In the Old Testament, the the sea was often used as a a symbol of of chaos and evil, of of a world opposed to God. And yet, Jesus, here he is, with enormous power, showing that he has come to destroy evil and that which opposes God. He does that because he is totally good. He comes with enormous power, And is totally good. And so he says to us, don't be afraid, have faith. 
Jesus is enormously powerful and basically good. You know, the Apostle Paul will go on later in the New Testament to say that Jesus is the wisdom of God and the power of God. And he says it in 1 Corinthians. Where do you want to go to to see the power of God for the Apostle Paul? Well, in 1 Corinthians 1, it is the cross. It is on the cross that we see the power of God, the power of the Lord Jesus. It says Jesus dies there that we see his power but we also see his goodness. You see, Christ exercises enormous power by becoming God-forsaken for us. He became God-forsaken as he hung on the cross in our place so that he might save us from the power of death over us. He came to defeat death for us, to save us from the power of death caused by our own sinfulness. And as he died on that cross and then as he was buried, he demonstrates of his power by rising again from the dead. Showing that he has defeated death. You see, don't you care if we die, the disciples ask. Of course he does. That's what led him to the cross. That's where he exercises enormous power and shows his goodness for us. And because of that, we can trust him. We can have faith in him. We can be unafraid as we come to death. You see, Jesus is enormously powerful and he's totally good. He has the power to save from death and he is good to do that for us. And so when we start to see that, we can start to see how we can answer Jesus' question in verse 40. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And at that point, you could have imagined the disciples, couldn't you, saying, well, our boat's about to sink and we're going to drown in the middle of the sea and to top it all off, Jesus, you were asleep in the boat. You didn't care. But Jesus says, you need not be afraid. You need to have faith in me. remarkable really in the face of death that Jesus thought they should be unafraid and yet it's not so remarkable when we see how enormously powerful Jesus was and how totally good he was and for us the story is meant to be lived out in our lives and so imagine me in the car after the GP phone call and I ask myself that question as I shake and I fumble Peter why are you so afraid do you still have no faith What do I remember at that point? I remember that Jesus is enormously powerful. Even the wind and the waves obey him. He hung on the cross and he rose again. I remember that he is totally good. He went to that cross to defeat death for me, to stand in my place there, so that I might have the hope of eternal life. And so I trust Jesus. And the really hard thing is, will we trust Jesus even when it seems like he is sleeping? You see, that's when it's really hard, isn't it? If we were seeing miracles every day, it might seem easy to believe and to follow Jesus. And yet, what about when Jesus seems like he's sleeping on a cushion in the stern of the boat and doing nothing? Well, Jesus obviously thought the disciples should have trusted him even then. That's why he asked the question. 
And that's where it gets hard for us and where Jesus is saying we should still trust him. And when we've prayed for the suffering to go, when we've prayed for healing and our prayers seem to hit the ceiling and bounce back, will you trust him then? You can trust him then because he is enormously powerful and he is totally good. And his resurrection is the thing which guarantees our future hope and our inheritance with him forever. As he rose from the dead, so will we also. You see, we follow after this one who went to the cross before us. And so will we commit all to this king now? I love how one of the hymn writer puts it. Let me finish with these words. In heavenly love abiding, no change my heart shall fear. And safe is such confiding, for nothing changes here. The storm may roar without me, my heart may low be laid. But God is round about me, and can I be dismayed? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word in which you speak to us so that we might know you. And Father, this morning, would you help us to take to heart what we have learned here from your word? May we come to trust in Jesus, our King, the one who is enormously powerful and totally good. Will we trust in his death and his resurrection and in the hope of eternal life which he brings? And Father, and as we live this life, will you help us to be unafraid in the face of death, to cling to the truth that we have been learning here of Jesus? Will you help us to do that even in the moments when it seems that you are absent and doing nothing, knowing that you are still there and are still in control? And will you help us to do that in Jesus' name? Amen.